Will we destroy this planet? Who am I to say? What I see is this. The continuous flow and the transformation that occurs in front of me. Yes, Mm -hmm. things rise up and they fall down. And yet we are in this eternity together. Welcome to Farm On, the podcast where I get to speak with agriculturists, artists, and activists on the front lines of the food movement. I'm Joe Phillips. For this episode, I'm going to step out of the usual mode and talk to someone who stumbled onto gardening by a twist of fate and who uses her garden's many lessons to teach us the living wisdom in our natural world. Karen Mazin Miller is a Zen priest at the Hazy Moon Zen Center in Los Angeles and the author of Mama Zen, Hand Wash Cold, and a slender book called Paradise in Plain Sight, which is the focus of our talk that you'll hear in a moment. Through Mason's no-nonsense prose, rocks convey faith, ponds preach stillness, flowers give love, and leaves express the effortless ease of letting go. And the green space that provides her so many lessons is no ordinary patch of land, but a 100-year-old Japanese garden that she painstakingly restored with no prior gardening experience. This one foot in front of the other approach is often referred to as the path in Buddhism. And I begin our conversation by asking Mazen about her own path from starting her own business to shedding the trappings of success and eventually earning the robes of a Zen priest. I hope you enjoy it. what you might call simplifying or minimalizing, but it was not in terms of a lifestyle. Hmm. It was just a matter of survival. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, okay, I can't have a big house, you know, and okay, I just can't have all of this stuff. And Mm -hmm. uh, literally it's a shedding, Hmm. Um, but it, it does really feel as if you are gasping for air. And yet... This book, Paradise in Plain Sight, is all about taking on this huge, I guess, burden in a lot of ways, or maybe you saw it as a burden early on, the garden and the the, the immense amount of work and learning that it took to take it on. So You are so right. <laughs> you are completely 100% right, because when we, when we make the kinds of... Um, you know, statements and assurances to ourselves that we will never do things a certain way again. Right. We're guaranteed that we our life will bring us around to where we no longer see that the problem was outside of us. Hmm. So we no longer see that the problem was a thing. Hmm. That the problem w- is always ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, and did the you know, garden? I, did taking on the garden teach you that? Finally, or are you still learning that? Well, it was spontaneous and instantaneous, and it was completely unplanned. And for what I I would say to you, you know, we're always in this process of um, feeling like we're getting our quote shit together. You know, we're yeah. always figuring ourselves out, and and kind of there's even this term now. You know, people say they're architecting their life. You know, which mm. is I'm sorry, mm-hmm. so delusional. <laughs> I also love but, um, life hacks, you know, oh, and hacking. Yeah. Oh, God. 
gosh. <laughs> it's very much like it was for you and for me and any parent when you're handed your child. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly, you you might have even thought that you were prepared. But of course, mm-hmm. you were totally unprepared. But what you are, what it, this this event comes to you buoyed in this ocean of transcendent love. And you are simply you know, you are then suddenly equipped and able to do the impossible. Hmm. And so, in my case, I was an innocent in this. I mean, I was... Uh, in the garden or in being a, a parent? Both. <laughs> the same thing. <laughs> okay. But, you know, in the case of the garden, I didn't go looking for it. It wasn't a aspiration that I had. I was simply dumped here, you know, mm-hmm. but on arrival knew completely and mm-hmm. intuitively and immediately that it was my home and that my life was now revealed to me that I would be the gar- I hate to say the gardener but I mm-hmm. would be the caretaker because it was too amazing mm-hmm. to have occurred outside of you know Actually, the way all of our lives unfold, mm-hmm. I mean, in the kind of a perfect, um, you know, inconceivable hmm. synchronicity. Because when you when you stumbled on the garden, or when you were, I guess, you were taken there by a um, by a real estate person in yes. outside of Los Angeles somewhere. I'm not familiar with Los Angeles, so it's somewhere in the L.A. greater metro area. Is that right? Right, right. We're in a little town, which is, um, it sounds like it's uh, a contradiction in terms, mm-hmm. but we're in a little town that is a suburb um, of Los Angeles called mm-hmm. Sierra Madre, mm-hmm. and it's in the foothills of the San Gabriel Mountains, and it's just, um, it's at Mount Wilson, which is a kind of a famous uh, mountain in these parts, but we're we're in the L.A. Bay. Basin, mm-hmm. And, you know, all of the, um, you know, the so-called suburbs of L.A. are con- contiguous. So, mm. yeah, it, they it, they sprawl it never stops. Together. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yes, they sprawl in the basin until they come to the mountain ranges. So, yeah, we're there. And it's, um, you know, a 110, 120-year-old town. Mm-hmm. And because it has a very defined geographic boundary, um Many of the houses are old and small, and mm-hmm. it's really quite a quaint town. We don't have a traffic light. Very small. So, I guess yeah. my question then is, when you were looking at houses, and you know, you talk about in the book how you were just sort of going through the motions of looking at kind of bummer houses and stuff, um, and then you were shown you were shown this house, like. What did you think your life was going to be had you not discovered this Japanese garden kind of project? Like, did you just see yourself living in a house and practicing and still following your practice and your involvement in Buddhism the way you have? Or did did obtaining the garden and becoming the caretaker change your practice? Oh, very much so. You know, I was, um, I think for for some of us, but... um, but particularly for me, the early years of my practice were kind of like ecotourism. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. I, I was a spiritual tourist, mm. and um, 
you know, little, little by little, you know, just experimenting and going places and meeting different teachers and trying to um, figure out it. We always have a way of taking something like that and trying to confine it hmm. in a discreet way. You know, well, this is something I do on Wednesday nights. Or, oh, you know, okay. You know like, what I mean? Kind so of, that uh, it fits. compartmentalize, I guess. Yeah, so that we, you know, we it doesn't um, require mm-hmm. anything of us. Mm-hmm. But in particular, you know, the impetus for this whole. Um, move that I made from Texas to California was not uh, a spiritual quest. It was that I married a man mm-hmm. who lived in L.A. and I lived in Houston, and I'll be damned if if that was going to work out for me. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, yeah. The long-distance so thing did, is not for you, yeah. Oh, you know, it's there's actually something that's really quite, there's a, that, that's highly recommended, uh-huh. You know, for in a lot of ways, but I the forces that I think that were being brought to bear were all of those streams that we have in our life. We have our spiritual, hmm. you know, aspiration kind of karma, and then we have biology, and then we have this, and then we have that, and geography. Hmm. And um, he uh, has always worked at the Jet Propulsion Laboratory, which is hmm. just right near us at, in, in Pasadena. Mm-hmm. And um, he had taken a leave of absence and lived with me in Texas and then was asked to come back um, hmm. and work on a project. Mm-hmm. And and at that point, I just began in my own, you might say, my process of, of decluttering or simplification. I realized that I could go anywhere hmm. and I was willing to go anywhere and mm-hmm. so this looking at houses was just a teeny tiny step mm-hmm. um, in the middle of uncertainty and ambivalence towards seeing what was feasible hmm. for us to do does your husband practice Zen as well or how does that work absolutely absolutely not <laughs> <laughs> Okay, emphatically, emphatically no, huh? Um, (laughs) (laughs) Okay, and that that balance works out. It's a kind of an interesting thing. Um, You know, practice is solitary. Right. Like a lot of our facets of our life, you know, they're really not communal. And they're they're not, uh, I think, in fact, it's, again, looking at a more simplified view, it's it's really simplifies things for mm-hmm. to respect and allow um, your partner to pursue what they need to pursue hmm. and want to pursue. And I think that my husband has had a um, kind of a philosophical interest mm-hmm. in Zen. Mm-hmm. Um, but since I had a practice before we met, I mm-hmm. think that my commitment to it was always part of um, you know, my identity and right. our relationship. It wasn't yeah. something that you picked up and he's like, oh, what's this new hobby of yours, you know? Right. Mm-hmm. And I kind of threw at him. I don't think, and I certainly didn't, and I, I don't think that he ever would have guessed that I would have taken it quite this far. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and maybe did you guess you would have taken it this far? No. Or was it no, one no, no, foot no. in front of the other? 
It always is. It always is. And, you know, you know, you Mm -hmm. know, because this process, the mysterious process, you know, Mm -hmm. of becoming a radish, you know, or becoming an oak (laughs) tree, this mysterious process Mm. that is somehow, you know, all that's required for that process to unfold is contained in the seed. Yeah. You know? And yet... You can't actually ever locate it, but it, it it happens by itself, given proper conditions. So much of your writing um, uh, does this thing where it talks about the literal, tangible world, but you use metaphor a lot, I guess is the simple way to put it. And um, I wanted to, I actually made a note of one such metaphor about seeds and let me see if I can find it okay um, in your chapter called Roots in Paradise in Plain Sight the book um, first of all do you mind if I read this or would you like to read it oh I'd love to hear it okay <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you you may remember writing this life, <laughs> life is transmitted with nearly impossible and inexplicable precision and Zen teaching accords with nature We are each the fruit of ancestral seeds, thoughts, words, and actions that reveal their own meaning through us. Like it or not, we each carry the indelible marks of our lineage. So, uh, what is my question? How does that strike you? If you haven't haven't heard it for a while, how does that feel to you now? You know, um, well, of course, it's true, absolutely true. And what might, in our intellectual minds, what we might hear as being a literal truth um, Mm -hmm. is always a metaphoric truth and always a spiritual truth because there really aren't two truths. And um, it's actually embedded in a word that we might use is um, the truth in every kind of expression. Mm. Um, So, yeah, you know, um, we are karma. And we are, that means our lives, we, uh, I mean, are the living expression contained in, in, in us is both the cause and the effect that is manifested. And so, of course, even if we just look at, say, something that we call DNA, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, which for most of us, I mean, it really is an abstraction. I mean, it's a scientific extraction. Mm. Extract- abstraction and it's useful to use but you know we we it it doesn't mean that we understand it or that we grasp it or that we you know in in, in any way that that it's it's real to us Mm -hmm. it's it's simply a language Mm -hmm. that has been formulated for us to talk about this but of course i have my mother's eyes Mm -hmm. and you know who's no who knows whose eyes those are Mm -hmm. and i have um, my mother's, I even think, my goodness, I have my mother's faith. Mm-hmm. I have I, these things that we think we have to manufacture in ourselves or design in ourselves or um, include or exclude from our lives. Mm-hmm. And when you reach a certain point in your own life, Joe, mm-hmm. you'll see how connected you are and what you think of as just such an, an original feature see (laughs) i want that i want that point in my life to be like if not now like this evening or tomorrow (laughs) you know 
or like yeah. soon I would like for that point to happen. Like I know, see, I read so much Zen writing and your writing is really at top of my list currently. And I listen to so many Dharma talks and I go to sit at the meditation center and I do all these things and I'm like, it's like I'm watching a future version of myself thinking like, man, when I get to be that person, I'll have that realization that you are talking about. So what, what well, you know, the hell is, is that? <laughs> well, there's no that person, first off. And as long as you are conceptualizing your life in terms of future, um, you're, you're, you're blinding yourself. Hmm. Um, so, I mean, I can't really tell you, but you have a son now, right? I do. He's two and a half. Okay. Yeah, I just put him to bed. <laughs> so luckily, I, he's still I, sleeping. <laughs> I, I realized why we, we were talking at this time, hmm. because you've just put the baby to bed. But you will, it, you know, this this is unfolding right now in your life, Joe. You're, you're a young father, <laughs> and you're a young man, and hmm. you will... Right now, you're in this time of uncertainty and yearning, and you have an aspiration, and you probably have an intimation hmm. that this this sense of um, connection and completion, really the inso, since you're a Zen guy, you know the mm-hmm. inso. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. what it is. That's the circle painting that you see. Uh, it's a it's such a beautiful tradition that maybe has been. Um, co-opted in <laughs> marketing a lot now but it's it's the perfect drawing of of that idea right yeah that the circle now what's also interesting about that the wholeness the one you see mm-hmm. it is both a line it is both a line and a circle you see mm-hmm. it's not one form or the other it is both linear in terms of how it's executed but at completion it's a single image so it's you see it has all of these things are included and you know when you have if you ever and nobody else will ever have an opportunity to practice with mm-hmm. a calligraphy master you know mm-hmm. who's mm-hmm. zen masters at a time we're all calligraphy masters mm-hmm. the drawing of the inso was the expression of enlightened mind you know that that is the expression why does it not why does the Enzo not uh, close? It's a. It's usually an open circle. Yeah, best not to think about it. Uh. Best not to question. You know, I, I. You know, somebody might have some interpretive analysis of that, but what it really is, it's a single brush. It's a brush. Mm-hmm. It's a brush dipped into a pot of paint, and then can you imagine the presence of mind, mm-hmm. the single-mindedness that the artist uses to place that brush with the ink on the piece of paper and Mm -hmm. execute that Mm -hmm. without lifting the brush. No second guessing, no second thought, Mm -hmm. no deviation. And every insult is completely original. It's beautiful. It is beautiful. So that's every moment of your life, every instant you see, hmm. there's nothing excluded, and it's impermanent. Where? That's how, it. 
See, you breathe like that. You exhale. You breathe. And in that way, see, your attention is going from, you know, the your cranium, you know, the, 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 the inside your head, which is all your confusion is. Mm. And you're gradually slowing down and deepening your attention and coming to rest where you are right now. So that's good that you did that. Hmm. Wow. I wonder about see i think that we in the west struggle i i'm going to speak for myself i struggle sometimes with the idea of work and labor and i'm just now i'm thinking about the inso which is the singular motion and it's it's minimalist, right? It's minimalist art, right? And so the skeptic uh, naysayer would say, well, I could do that. Or I don't, the person, the artist didn't have to do a lot of work and therefore it's not worthy of whatever. And, and what is that? You said that the garden, the garden designer of your garden did a sit for something like three months before he designed the garden or so you learned. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So is the work in the sitting or is the work in the designing, the labor, the, the effort? Are they separate? No, I don't know. They're not separate. It's all continuous. It's continuous practice. And when I say practice, don't just think that it, it's when you sit cross-legged on a cushion and look at a mm-hmm. wall. It's all, it's all an even-minded, single-pointed focus. When it's time to do this, you do this. When it's time to do the next thing, you do that. That's a living practice. So, mm-hmm. like you might, you know, in ter- terms of... Um, in terms of your work, there's time when you, when you uh, simply take a look. You mm-hmm. look at, at what needs to be done, and you survey, mm-hmm. and you walk the ground, and you let it. It might look like it's a fallow time, mm-hmm. but in truth, it's not fallow. Mm-hmm. You know what I like to sometimes tell people is again getting back to the what you might think of as a metaphor of the seed, but, you know, when you plant a seed and you put it three or four or six inches underneath the earth, put yourself in the position of the seed. Mm-hmm. You're in, you're there alone in total darkness, and you're just uh, kind of in limbo. Hmm. You're just waiting. I don't even know what's happening. Right. But what a tremendous expression of faith. Hmm. That seed can't do anything else. It doesn't have <laughs> arms and legs. <laughs> Right, but, but some process unfolds with a drop of moisture, mm-hmm. and you know this one degree at a time variance in temperature, and you know really. So that's really what you're looking at. Um, all, all everything you do is work. Although when I what I want you to um, no longer append to the word work is any kind of aversion. Any um, kind of judgment mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. work has to produce a certain thing or it has to look like a certain thing. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a famous Zen saying that says, a day without work is a day without eating. Mm-hmm. Um, we the all man have, who grew rice. Yeah, we right? all, all 
Well, and even before that, yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, uh, all that's what we do. Um, mm-hmm. And it's a, it's a misconception that a life of meditation is a life of idleness hmm. or that sitting is idle or disengaged. I mean, I'm imagining that the original garden designer here, Mr. Kato, mm-hmm. um, simply had to become familiar with this place that he was given to work. And mm. I don't know about you, but Joe, when I go someplace and I tell people, the way you get to know a place is through the soles of your feet. <laughs> you walk it. Yeah, you mm. really do. You don't have to you don't have to have a map or read. You you just have to inhabit the place. One thing I love about doing this show is for me it's learning for me it's research and it's just my own way to follow a thread right and the person i just interviewed before you it's just interesting how sometimes disparate people from different parts of the planet can basically be telling the same story and it's like it links together it's just it just blows my mind so anyway i mentioned that because the person i just interviewed was is in ireland and she's a garden designer She's Irish, and she was emphatic that you take your shoes off and you have to walk the site before you design anything. And she even talks about how the bacteria in your feet interact with the microbial life in the soil and the enzymes, and they all start to talk to each other. And it's absolutely true. Yeah, and 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 you know, it's not a fairy story. And nor do you have to have any kind of scientific documentation in order to make that claim. Right. Now, you know that um, uh, one of the forms of Zen meditation is walking meditation, mm-hmm. kinhin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you may or may not do that. But, you know, kinhin is every I've time you it. walk anywhere. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, every time well, I've tried it, I feel I feel like I'm being watched and that people think I'm strange <laughs> because you have to walk so slowly. <laughs> Well, first you walk slow in our tradition. First we walk slow and then we walk fast. Oh. We don't make any kind of case that somehow to be mindful is to be slow. Hmm. Um, to be mindful is simply to pay attention to wherever you are as mm-hmm. you are. And mm-hmm. when conditions, you know, require that you walk fast or mm-hmm. drive fast, mm-hmm. you do that. You know, we're, mm-hmm. we're really versatile in that way. <laughs> right. But that I think of that as being... Um, just kind of at its essence, just an expression of this fundamental truth. Because what we do, you know, to make ourselves suffer is we live in 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 our thinking mind, our intellect, mm-hmm. and we then draw the mistaken conclusion that we are separate from the world we inhabit, even though the world, what we what we see, hear, smell taste and touch in our world is our own perception Hmm. it's our own perception Mm -hmm. it's happening only in us Mm -hmm. but we project it as being outside of us and then we feel this sense of alienation disconnection um Mm -hmm. and you know all strife and worry and confusion arise from that single mistake and now that um buddhism is obviously become has become more of a mainstream thing in the west i would i'm just 
I'm just going out on a limb and saying that that seems to be true. Um, why why is it that Westerners struggle with that idea, maybe more so than people in Asia? Like, what is it about us that we have to unprogram ourselves that maybe your you know your man on the street in Japan doesn't have to as much? Or am I oversimplifying that a little bit? Well, you know, it might have been true in one day at one time, but I'm I'm certain that the man on the street in Tokyo these days is far more Western than we are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. But I do think if you look at some of the, um, you know, the origins of Zen, um, or even if you just look at the, the, some of the ancient traditions, Taoism and such, there was, and perhaps academics have drawn this conclusion, that, you know, the Western linear way of thinking and um, working and uh, progressing, you know, in terms of, um, you know, and really just a, the individuality, the singularity, mm-hmm. this this conquest and so forth is, you know, different from um, the more holistic views, you know, in the Eastern tradition. Mm-hmm. But I don't even worry about that. I can tell you really quite simply, I don't care where you live, we miss the essential truth of our lives hmm. because um, we we live in our heads. Hmm. We live in our heads. We think obsessively. We value intellectual, mm-hmm. um, you know, rigmarole over anything else. And um, you know, in in Buddhism, we call this this. The, the basic source of all suffering is the delusion hmm. that we are separate and hmm. we are trapped in our heads. You know, we, we have this saying in Zen, you know, don't put a head on top of your head. Hmm. That we have constructed this body of intellectual um, knowledge that, um, that blinds and, and deafens us to the reality that of our lives and where we live. And so we are always seeking to understand and know and define and label and name and chart mm-hmm. and graph. And what did somebody tell me recently? They attended a Buddhist talk, you know, a talk mm-hmm. by a Buddhist teacher with a PowerPoint. Uh-huh, right. Uh-huh. Right. Just yeah. like throwing information at you. Right. As if that ever transformed your life. Now, I'll ask you, do you just put the ins- the seed packet, do you lay it just on top of the ground? Mm-hmm. The seed packet with all the instructions in the picture mm-hmm. of the plant that you're trying to grow? No, you don't do that. Mm-hmm. I mean, you don't, you don't open up a book mm-hmm. and, you know, read about the seasons and, you know, your climate zone and all this other stuff and then think that that is somehow going to produce food. Mm -hmm. Well, every time I've read a book, I find that no matter what I've read, as soon as I try to put it into practice, none of it works. Like I have to make all sorts of mistakes in reality and then figure out my own way. Like the theories fall apart when you put them into practice in my experience. That And I want you to value that insight hmm. and see how it applies to every part of your life, hmm. because that's absolutely true. I mean, the, the reason that we call them, oh, goodness, the reason that we call, you know, these kinds of things snake oil and that they're sold by snake oil salesmen is because you can sell it. Hmm. But does it really work? And 
And for the same reason that Kato had to sit on the ground and say, what kind of a garden Mm -hmm. will fit to this elevation, you know, Mm -hmm. this rocky, um, you know, hillside that Mm -hmm. I'm on, you, you have to do that too. An insight that is not arrived at experientially mm-hmm. is useless hmm. it's just answer on a multiple choice test right <laughs> so you mentioned kato the designer i wanted to ask about your i guess first teacher meizumi hopefully i said his name right meizumi he called himself meizumi meizumi and um Maizumi. And that's how you got your name, Maizen. Yes. And yes. I call myself Maizen. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. That's why I got that. Okay. Um, but there's a line in your book where you imply that um, that Maizumi um, Roshi, your teacher, was actually at your garden at some point. And I don't know if you're talking about ghosts or or spirits or or if you if you really believe that he was there at some point but does it really matter do you want to leave that up should it be a mystery in my mind or how did that how did you intend for that well i'll I'll tell you exactly i'll tell you exactly how how it unfolded um when i um when i began practicing with my zoomy uh in los angeles um and then I began seeing socially this fellow who lived um, in Sierra Madre. Uh, Roshi asked me to invite him for tea mm-hmm. uh, on New Year's Eve. And so my boyfriend at the time, who is now my husband and lives in Sierra Madre, visited uh, Maizumi mm-hmm. in his little house, you know, in downtown LA. And um, when Maizumi met, when I introduced this fellow to Maizumi, he spoke in a way that completely shocked and surprised me. He said, I hear you've been living in Sierra Madre. He said this to the fellow. Mm-hmm. And I said, Roshi, do you know Sierra Madre? And he said, I was a gardener there when I first came to America. No way. So how many years before you bought the garden was this? Um, this was probably in the, um, we bought the garden in 1997, uh-huh. so this would have been New Year's Eve 1994, and Maizumi died in 1995. That's amazing. I yes. mean, you must have, there, I mean, you must have just felt chills when you realized that. That's incredible. I did, and I cried, and I turned to the realtor just in shock and said, why did you bring us here? <laughs> and she Knowing nothing about me, um, she also apologized because she thought that there was something she had made wrong. A yeah, <laughs> yes. right. Because you're crying. But, and <laughs> yes, but once we moved in, um, I I met my neighbors, you know, across my back fence, and this was an older fellow who was living in his mother's, what had been his mother's home, and he told me that when he was young, the woman who lived in this house and maintained this garden in the 1950s, had hired the priests from the Zen temple to prune her trees. It's amazing. Because she, yeah, she was so um, sensitive to caring uh, for the trees and the garden in an appropriate way that she hired um, 
you know, the young Japanese monks. And I'm sure they were cheap, too. So, mm. yeah, I, I, I can't ask him, but then I think, what, why do I need to ask him? Because I've, it's already been answered for me. <laughs> do you mind if I read um, a little passage about that moment? I, I think sure. it's, I think it's sure. about what you're talking about, but um, <clears throat> you said in the same chapter, Rocks, when something bad happens, when you step into the quicksand of your anxiety and doom, when your thoughts begin to race, when fear strangles your breath, despair wrenches your heart, and doubt suffocates the light right out of your day, pick up a rock and hold it in your hand. Yes, any old rock will do. Any rock will bring you back to the here and now. Faith in the here and now is faith that never leaves you. Besides, what else do you have to go on? The couple that owned the garden before us had a child. Their child had a nanny who said she twice saw a phantom standing in the garden in broad daylight. It was a man wearing black. Perhaps this was the spirit of the original gardener. But I had no doubt. Once I knew a man who wore black, and he told me to meet him right here. Mm, that's exactly what I thought when I when I read that um, about the the family that had lived here before. That they had a young daughter who had seen a man in black, um, and of course, you know that it, it serves me to. To um, and inspires me, but I there. It's also accompanied in every respect in my life, Joe. You know, I see that I am, in a way, the fulfillment. You know, the lineage holder, the heir of my first teacher. And isn't Zen like that? I mean, the more I come to understand it, and and one of the reasons I want to have a teacher of my own is that I am learning that so much of it is about that transmission from one person to another, that to just learn it intellectually is not it. Is that right? Yes, you're right. And in a way, that is both the essence, you know, really, that's that's foundational to all learning, just so you know that. Now you're in a mm. position Mm -hmm. And, you know, every moment that you spend with your son, it can be quite corrective. You know, every, you oh are. Oh God, you're so right. <laughs> when, I'm, when I'm absent-minded, yeah. when I'm not being mindful of him, I just, I realize how many little moments I missed, you know. Or when I am mindful and I see our, when we lock eyes and we're like really communicating, I realize how many hours have passed since I did that. <laughs> you know, Zen is called, um, you know, the, the teaching in Zen is called face-to-face, face-to-face transmission. Uh -huh. And uh, I don't want you to overthink that because everything in your life you commune in a face-to-face -face way with. So always ask yourself, you know, what am I transmitting and to whom Right now, you know, mm. how much time do we spend not seeing the people and the place mm. and the things where we are? But and all the time we've been in our head, we might as well be on Mars. We're so <laughs> far removed, <laughs> so, so far removed. Um, mm. So, yes, that's that's what's really central to mm -hmm. the Zen teaching, and it makes it seem quite 
old-fashioned and anachronistic. You know, people will say, well, can't we just do something on Skype? Mm-hmm. And, um, I mean, that would be like you then thinking, can I just phone in my right. fatherhood? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to ask about one really beautiful moment in this book, uh, Paradise in Plain Sight, where you talk about the design of the garden that you live in, this hundred, over a hundred year Japanese garden now? Yes. Uh Uh-huh. And this realization that you didn't understand the design, the motif in the garden, because I think you said something like you wouldn't know a kanji character if it was tattooed on your ankle, which was made me laugh out loud. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But uh, the moment when you gained, you had the right perspective, the right vantage point to finally see this kanji character in the garden. Can you describe yes. that in your own yeah. memory? Yeah. In, in, the, um, in the materials that I received uh, as a homeowner here and a, and a caretaker, there was a description um, of the garden design that said that we have four interconnecting ponds here, 7,500 square feet of ponds. Wow. <laughs> three, times, three times the size of the house. It's amazing. Uh, so a lot of water. And um, it said that Kato had designed the shape of, um, of the ponds in the kanji character for heart, um, which is kokoro uh, mm-hmm. in Japanese. And I, you know, I googled and I looked up that kanji and, and I couldn't see it. I couldn't see it. Um, because I am always experiencing the garden now from the vantage point where I'm at, which mm-hmm. is here my house mm-hmm. on the eastern side of the garden. Mm-hmm. And um, I would look out at the ponds and I'd think, oh my gosh, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, this I can't conjure anything out of this mm-hmm. shape. But then one day I realized that I, I connected these things that I had already read many times and I knew in my head, but I hadn't yet actually learned them with my feet, which was that when the garden went in, mm-hmm. um, the entry to the garden was not on the east side, which is where I am, I live now, but on the on the west side. Mm-hmm. And the, the rocks are still in place that Kato um, laid down for people to enter the garden and I realized suddenly that I was had been looking all this time at the garden upside down mm-hmm. because I was on I was on a vantage point that didn't exist when Kato put the garden in. And if I simply walked to the uh. west side, which is where he where everybody originally entered the garden, that I could see that uh, kanji. I could see it. It had been there all along. Yeah. But I had just been looking at it upside down. That lack of pers- perspective is so interesting. And, and you even get into kind of the the history of the whole area and how um, there, I, well, if I remember correctly, didn't the um, original owners of the house design other gardens that were kind of characteristic of other traditions, not Japanese, but it was kind of this like collection that they had of world gardens or something is that right yeah this the japanese garden that we have this this garden was part of an estate 
Um, and the woman who owned the estate did what wealthy people of her age and time did, <laughs> which yeah. was to build an Italianate style, you know, villa. And then on this sloped hill, uh, she had a series of gardens. And the first was a Mediterranean garden, which, you know, was sculpted shrubbery and fountains, and then an English garden with roses, and then finally the Japanese garden, which is in the southernmost part of the original property. And all of those things were um, really emblematic at that time of great wealth and sophistication. Mm -hmm. And so that's really what she was uh, displaying. Um, And so a lot of the um, at that time, you know, which was now 100 years ago, the early 20th century, a lot of public, civic, and privately owned gardens were Japanese gardens. That's so interesting. So, I just uh, made a connection that I I might be reaching a little bit, but I'm just remembering the way that you described how you came to the door of your teacher, Meizumi, Maizumi Roshi. Uh, in San, was he in San Francisco or in L.A.? Los Angeles. Los he was Angeles. in Los Angeles. And the way you described coming to his door, kind of like, I mean, I don't know, like, like the cat dragged you in, you know, that kind of thing. Like you were sort of at the bottom of something, it seemed like. And you found him, and he wasn't really at, at his prime either, it sounds like. Like. He, <laughs> It sounds like he had kind of already kind of bottomed out at a certain level in his life as well. And I'm, I'm just making the connection now that when you found the garden, that its, its heyday was long gone, that it wasn't part of this palatial estate anymore. And it was kind of buried under the dust and leaves and kind of clutter of time. I mean, do you... I, I, Am I, reaching I see or that you? so. No, you're not. And what we're really getting to is the thing of authenticity. You know, when yeah. when are we the most authentic and genuine? And frankly, it's when we've been shorn or we've shed, we've dropped the artifice of um, you know um, power or sophistication or elitism or popularity or whatever any of those things mm-hmm. that essentially are are come with fame or profit you know mm-hmm. when that happens then there's a chance you know really then there's a chance to see the truth and to become genuine yourself mm. um i it, you know it's not really an aspiration like i said it's um um it's it, you know what we we it, we call it. It's kind of like um, there's a there's a story in Zen in which the treasure, the treasure of Buddhism, you know, the treasure, the truth of your life is like a jewel that is sewn into the hem of a poor man's robe or a mm-hmm. poor man's coat or pants. Mm-hmm. He doesn't know that it's there, and you know, in this process of not knowing kind of the true, the, 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 the beautiful, wondrous essence, the treasure that he already possesses, he, um, you know, flails and fails and falls, mm-hmm. you know, inevitably, 
you know, mm-hmm. over and over and over again, and never knowing that what he carries with him is a gem, you know, priceless gem, which is your life, which is your very life. And that's what waking up then, is, right? That's what... Yes. Hmm. Yes, that's what it is. I don't have to produce anything. I don't have to manufacture anything. I don't have to pose or pretend. I don't have to know anything more. I don't have to prove anything more. I don't have to make this so hard. Mm-hmm. I'm not special. I don't have to make this special. Mm-hmm. And this is why I would say, you know, cats and cows know this. Mm-hmm. They know this. Mm-hmm. They live this. You might say, you know, babies know this. Mm-hmm. You know, children live it. Right. They're in the moment always. It's beautiful to watch. They're not, they're not trying to become someone else. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. And it's funny when now that my son's learning how to um, how to pretend, like how to do fantasy stuff, you know, it's like kind of hilarious to watch. It's like he's suddenly trying on these different hats, but for him, he's 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 not. It's not. I, I don't know. I, I feel like in his mind, he's not putting on this new persona. He's just living in the moment that he is outside camping when actually we're in our living room. It's kind of amazing. Oh, yes, yes, yes. And you know what he is, he's doing that what we call, we call it play. Yeah. And yet, you know, that's actually what all the ancestors say is the enlightened life. They call it frolic. You Mm. frolic forever. You know, Mm. you're just no longer burdened by the this this illusion that somehow you have to, you know, do something more mm-hmm. than just play in mm-hmm. in in your life in in the fields, you know. Uh, yeah. I love that because um, I feel like one of the kind of uh, misconceptions about Zen is that it's so austere and so serious, you know. Because really, if you look at the sitting practice, it's like you're facing a wall, and it's. You might be sitting for days at a time. I mean, it's like people. If you're lucky. If you're lucky, right? (laughs) Yeah, seriously. But but you, I mean, you laugh a lot. Like you obviously have a lot of lightness in your heart, and I just think that's so interesting that what you're describing is like the that realization can make you so joyful and bring make you see the joy in your life, and yet. Zen doesn't look like that a lot of times. Isn't that interesting? Things are not what they appear to be. Mm-hmm. Things are not what they appear to be. Now, there is, of course, in Zen, great and grave uh, and very serious discipline because mm-hmm. we're dealing with the matter of life and death. Mm-hmm. You know, the most important, the great matter of your life, we're dealing with it, we're grappling with it, we're facing it. Mm-hmm. There's. When you actually confront the things that f- you're most afraid of and you, you know, pass through them, there's no way that you can respond with anything other than laughter. Mm-hmm. Really, there's no, there's no response. Of course, you can cry, but, you know, uh-huh. but that's also the very same thing. Huh. You know, uh, yeah. Okay, so in the spirit of confronting 
my greatest fears. I I have to ask you this question that I, I didn't even write it down in my list of questions because I was kind of afraid to. <laughs> but uh, the question is, um, so it seems like when I read my Twitter feed, which is pretty much all ecology people and you know permaculture people and people who spend their lives really studying, you know, climate change, for example, um, it seems increasingly like the end is near. Like, I feel like people are trying to, uh, that there's this need to try to articulate, like, what is this that we're going through right now? What does the end look like (laughs) for the environment, for the ecological balance but as as a spiritual person i'm and as a father who i would like to be able to explain the world or not explain it but i would like to be able to i guess my question is what is the zen view of the end of things in nature i mean we hear about insectageddon you know 75 percent of insects on the planet are now known to be going extinct. I mean, these are big, big things that we're grappling with. So what is the Zen response? We don't ignore it. And in fact, um, it's very depressing. Yeah. And um, that's why I didn't write it it down because I, it's too depressing to even write it down. It's absolutely true. What we see um, and, and the lesson that we take from it is, have you ever heard the term samsara? Yeah. Samsara is the world of ignorance. It's the world of greed, anger, and ignorance, and it's produced by human delusion. And we live in it, mm-hmm. Joe. Like, make no mistake. Mm-hmm. And um, it's worse than we could imagine. Um, it's, uh, it's terrifying. And... What we do is what we can, where we are, we don't ignore it, we Mm -hmm. support um, wise and compassionate action, Um, we do what needs to be done, Um, we instruct, we encourage, we rally, we march, we contribute what we can toward the, um, you know, the, the... the best and better course, the obvious course, and the most important thing is the urgency that we realize for ourselves to practice. We cannot contribute through our own fear, our own anger, our own greed to the degradation of this world. We cannot do that. We, we have to be stewards. We are stewards. We have to care. Hmm. We, have to, we have to chant. We have to pray. We have to love. We have to support. Um, we have to be wise. Hmm. Um, we are the models. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in terms of the in, very often, you know, you have a two-year-old. I have an 18-year-old now, and I, I cannot fathom. Um, the world that she will, yeah. um, she will live in, and yeah. um, I, I can't fathom that. And I, and so I do what I can right now, um, 
and I don't um, suffer fools. Mm-hmm. I really don't. I I take them on. And the larger sense of this, is this the end? Mm-hmm. Um, I try to see it where I'm at and to take solace where I'm at and to be a good steward where I'm at because the issue is so massive. Mm-hmm. But you see, we are all in this together. And if I can, by my action, by my thought, and by my word, if I can share an enlightened perspective, mm-hmm. um, a, um, a wholehearted perspective, um, a, a generous perspective, if I can, whatever I do has infinite consequence. Hmm. Incalculable consequence. I can't I dare not do the math mm-hmm. in this case. I mm-hmm. dare not do the math. Will we destroy this planet? I mean, who am I to say? What I see is this the continuous flow and the transformation that occurs in front of me. Yes, mm-hmm. things rise up and they fall down. Yes, things you know, thrive, and then they they cease to thrive. And yet, we are in this eternity together. You, so, how will I live? You, your, your, the way that you describe that with falling leaves in your garden is just beautiful. The chapter on leaves is it's tragic and it's beautiful, and. Um, you said, I had lived for 41 years before I ever saw a tree lose its leaves. After that, everything I saw was a falling leaf. Everything came down. Yes. And, you know, you see that, and yes, you you see it for what it is. And you might feel the poignant grief. And then you see through and beyond that, because it's not the end. Mm-hmm. Because all of life is transformed continually and forever. And I have, I mean, there's so little we can do. You know, I told you that my husband works for the Jet Propulsion Laboratory and he does missions to Mars. And right. I want to just tap him on the shoulder and say, honey, it's you know here. what Mars is? <laughs> yeah, it's Earth. You know, <laughs> it, it's, it's Earth. So you can stop searching. Oh, man. But you guys must you have know, the best dinner conversations. <laughs> I'd love to just stick a microphone in the middle of one no, of those. We can't, we can't have those conversations, Joe. Yeah. Because that's how you sustain your marriage. You know, you can't really, you can't take huh. those things on. But you can work side by side, you know, in on the ground that you cover. You can be good stewards and caretakers. You can be custodians. You'll start to see the generations that came before and the generations that will come after. And you do what needs to be done. You become a servant mm-hmm. of, you know, all of those, you know, a servant to the ancestors, a service, a servant to the heirs. There's nothing more for us to do. It's so simple. Mm-hmm. We do what we can while we're here, and then we step aside and we trust. We have faith. And in my case, I say I have faith in the Dharma. Mm-hmm. And I have faith in you, Joe. 
And if you if you you need to come to California, I say that I say that in the book, and I mean it. And if not, come to Wisconsin. I'll be in Wisconsin, or come to Ohio, or mm-hmm. come to my matter. Ask me to come to Chicago. I'll mm-hmm. come, mm-hmm. and and we can take care of these things. That would be wonderful. Well. It's not by accident that we're talking, Joe. It's not by accident. Actually, when I, you know, I I told you that I picked up your book and I knew that it was going to impact my life, but I hadn't read it. And I still reached out to you and said, I want to interview you before I had really read the book, which, which is terrible practice. But it is like, as soon as I opened it, it's like it was speaking to me at the time in my life when I needed to really hear it. And that's a, that's a strange feeling. Um, but there are those books that just stay on the shelf. And when, when I look at them, it's like, I'm looking at a slideshow of my greatest hits of my life, you know, and, um, it, it really is, um, that's the face-to-face <laughs> communication transmission that I that I so much need. So I I just I want to say thank you for the book and for your for your teaching. Oh, you're welcome. I credit you know, of course, all my grandfathers for that. Well, and there is a if you don't mind, there is a quick actually I think I was intending on reading this as like an intro because you came from people of the earth in Texas right I I grew up in Oklahoma and so ca- and um, California and California Oh right the other half was in California right Uh-huh but I think you said of the um I think you were talking about the Texas side and you said these are not these were not high-minded men they were simple and sometimes crude and yet they were not self, they were not restless. They found their daily purpose in the light that fell between dawn and dusk. They sniffed weather on the wind, they prayed for rain, dammed the drought, brought forth families, buried kin, and stayed put. This last bit I attribute to something other than a lack of initiative, call it trust. They trusted the root to bear the fruit, the sheep to grow the fleece, and the sun to burst open blooms too numerous to count. Their lives were plain and hard. They worked the ground, and there were no cashews in their peanuts. They didn't even have peanuts. <laughs> I don't know. It's just, um, I just want to... I, I, lo- I love hearing that, you know, because it's like a song, um, you know, to to who I am and, and all those wonderful people. I thought they were, I thought they were not, I thought I wasn't like them, you know. Right, right. You're like the black sheep that had to flee, right? Well, you know, we always think that we've improved on, you know, we're the new and improved version. (laughs) Yeah, right? That's technology, right? That's human progress. And here we are, right? Right. Oh, man. Wonderful. Well, thank you again for the time and enjoy your evening. Thank you. Thank okay. You, sir. All right. Take care. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this talk, I really can't recommend uh, Mason's books enough. Uh, my wife and I are reading 
uh, Mama Zen right now, and hopefully it's going to help us be better parents. But at any rate, she's uh, got a, a really uh, lyrical and beautiful way of writing, so do check out her books. Also, she's got tons of articles, and you can find those on her website. The link is in the description. Um, she also does a ton of um, retreats. Uh, I believe her next retreat is in Madison, Wisconsin, starting on March 1st. So again, go to her website to find out about that. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed this, please share it with like-minded folks. You can find Farm on the podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Um, contact me on Twitter at Farm on Dharma. That's Farm on D H A R M A. Email me at dharmaonthefarm at gmail.com. Until next time, follow the sun and farm on. <laughs>